Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Nick, and uh, I, I love to, to be able to have this opportunity to jump into God's Word with you. But before we do, can we give uh, the worship team a big hand today? We don't do that enough, but it's not because of what they do. In fact, um, that was for the people on stage, but also those who are behind you, um, running everything behind us. And it's not just for them. It's for everybody here today that is serving in some way, shape, or form. And you may not have even seen them, or they may have just blended in. But if they helped you come in the door, if they helped you find communion today, if they helped you have a cup of coffee today. Um, those who are serving our kids right now as we speak, those who served our students at 9 this morning and will again tonight, and also on Thursdays, all of those people are using their gifts to point us to Jesus. And they wouldn't want the thanks because that's not why they do it. But I wanted to, to applaud, not because of what they did, but because how they're using their gifts to serve Jesus' church. And so I just want to identify that really quickly and say, God has gifted us all with a gift. And if we're not using it to serve his church in any way, then we're missing living fully in the gifting God has given us. Because he didn't give it to us to use it for us. He gave it to us to use to build his church. And so today, if, uh, if you have a second, look in that seat back in front of you. Um, there's some cards in there, some, just some paper printouts. One is serving opportunities. I would encourage you to grab that card, hold on to it today. And if the Holy Spirit just tugs on your heart a little bit and says, hey, jump in on this place that you would check one of those boxes if you're not serving anywhere, and that you would drop it in one of the boxes on the way out today. That way you can use your gifting to build God's church, even here at Fork. So we're continuing in our sermon series called Peter 2. And if you've been here for a little while, then it probably means you understand why the 2, T-O-O, because several months ago we tackled the first book of Peter, the first letter of Peter. This week we're in the second letter of Peter, and this is the second week in the series. So last week, Virgil um, started in chapter one, and he, he talked about how Peter points out that our faith is a precious faith. And Peter points out specifically some things that we need to live out as a part of that precious faith. So today, we're going to finish out Peter's thought in chapter one, and follow where he builds on that. So I don't know about you, but just how I am personally and, and just my personality, I like to kind of deconstruct things. I like to, to peel back the layers and get down to the core of what something really is. I, I say that I don't have an engineer's mind and I don't always, you know, I don't, I don't care to look at my vehicle and know how it works, just know that it does. But there's some things in life that I really dig down on. Specifically though, when it, when it comes down to what are, we, what are we here for? Why are we here? And what's our purpose? And so digging down into that is kind of deconstructing life and all the fluff and all the things that compete for our attention and getting down to the essentials. And so today in God's word, um, th that's where Peter is going to take us. He's really trying to get down to the essentials of our faith, and he's trying to leave us with those things so that, so that we can remember. So for my family and I, um, today marks the one week anniversary of, I know that's dumb to say, right? It just sounds really dumb coming out of my mouth, but there's no other way to say it because that's what it is. The one week anniversary of a really big, important decision in our family. We decided to add to our family. But before I let you think too hard on that, we got a puppy. <laughs> yeah, but if you have a puppy, you know it's a part of your family. Um, and so, do you want to see a picture of the puppy? 
I'm not going to show you a picture of the puppy. Uh, (laughs) See, that was just for me to identify who in here is an animal lover and who is not. Now I know. But the thing is, like, you know, I've I've spoken uh, several times now. I've never showed you a picture of my family, my kids, like nothing like that. So why would I show you a picture of a puppy I've had for a week? (laughs) We love him, but he's a puppy, and we've had him for a week. So uh, being a puppy parent now. Uh, there's just things that we've had to do that we, we've had puppies before. My wife and I have had dogs before. Then we had kids Then we didn't have dog. Now we have a dog. And it's like that kind of thing that you kind of, you know what you're getting yourself into, but at the same time, you, and you think that you're doing a really good job of proofing your life, puppy proofing your life so that you're ready for it. And then you realize didn't do such a good job. And there's just things you forgot. And that's where we are right now. But in training a puppy, I, this time, this dog, I've decided that I'm going to be super intentional with the dog, and I'm going to teach it to be that dog that's super obedient. What I've realized is that means a lot, a lot of hard work. And so that's where I find myself right now a weekend, trying to still be intentional about the things I'm teaching our dog, because we want him to be able to remember key things. And puppies are cute. It's just like a universal principle. It doesn't matter what you think about animals or dogs. Puppies are cute. Now, what happens after the puppy stage, you know, that's something that people don't agree on. But when it's a puppy, it's cute. And so right now, I'm having to look past the cute to get down to what I really need the dog to understand because if we're going to live together and we're going to be a family, he needs to know how to live with us. And so... I find myself constantly reminding him of the things I want him to know. So we have carpet in a good chunk of our house. Carpet looks and feels to a dog, I'm assuming, like grass. We need him to know that the carpet and grass are different things. So over and over and over again, we take him outside so that he remembers outside is where you use the bathroom, inside is where you chill out. Over and over and over again, we have to teach him these things. We want him to be able to communicate to us that it's time to go outside, but just not with whining. So we decided to do bell training. Has anybody done bell training with their dog? Okay, a few hands. We're getting there. I don't think he knows that that means the bathroom, but he does know that it means I want to go outside. So he rings the bell and we know, okay, he needs to go outside. So every time we go outside, regardless of whether he rings it or not, we pick him up, we put his nose on the bell, we ring the bell, and we go outside. So that he remembers when I ring the bell, they know I need to go outside. We say his name over and over and over and over again because he doesn't know it yet. And we want him to remember that his name is Capo and that it's his name for the reason of when we need his attention, we need him to give us his attention. So we remind him over and over again. What I also know about myself is that I'm not great at remembering. Um, It's not a new revelation to me. It's something that I've struggled with all my life. Names, all kinds of sorts of things. I'm not good at remembering. You may be, and I'm glad you are, but I'm I'm not great at remembering. And you probably thought I was done talking about the dog, but I'm not done quite yet. Um... Isn't it annoying when people that you know, people that you love, like they have something new in their life and it's all they can talk about and everything they talk about is like the filter is that new thing and they can't shut up about it? Well, I'm going to be annoying for just one second longer and then I promise we're moving on from a dog. Um, But 
We thought this week, after a couple of days, we had zero accidents in the house, and we were feeling pretty confident that we had this whole potty train thing licked, pun intended. Uh, let that sit there for a second. Uh, <laughs> so we, we let our guard down, but we took him out, and then within a couple of minutes, we weren't watching him, and he goes and he pees on the carpet. And when he did that, instead of being like, okay, let's go back outside again, I just... I got mad, not at the dog, but I just got mad in general. And I'm like, I thought we had this figured out. Two days in, I thought we were good, and we were gonna, you were going to be the perfect dog, the most perfect dog in the world. And then I realized I was expecting something of a dog that doesn't, he doesn't know what to do yet, but I was expecting something of him that he just didn't have the capacity to do quite yet because I stopped reminding him of the thing he was supposed to do. And this week, as I was preparing for this message, I realized it kind of hit me. I'm not much different than that dog. Because if I let my guard down and I stop reminding myself of the things of God, if I stop reminding myself with God's word, what happens is that I forget. I begin to forget the things of God, and what happens is sin begins to creep in. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 7. He said, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. But I don't understand about myself, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. So when it comes down to it, what I've found, and you may have a photographic memory, but the human condition is to forget. Specifically to forget the important things. And when we bring that down on how we follow Jesus and the most important things in life, it's the human condition to forget. So we need to be reminded. And Paul says here, we need to be reminded of God's commands because we realize it's necessary if we're left to ourselves. So today, let's ask God to make his word clear to us and to help us follow his commands. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to soften our hearts. Help us to hear your word today. Illuminate our minds with your truth and allow us to, to move into our week, to move into the rest of our day, holding your word, holding your truth even tighter than we did when we walked into this room or we joined in on this stream or we turned on this video. Jesus, help us to grab a hold of your word and allow it to be the light and the lamp that you have intended it to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to jump into this passage together, chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to part it out and, and sift through it. So this is what Peter says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. 
And it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. I have a confession to make. When I read this passage, I just wasn't, I wasn't pumped about it. I wasn't excited about it. In fact, I even let it get me in a bad mood because I wasn't excited about it. Have you ever opened God's word before and it just didn't, the words didn't jump off the page to you? Like it just didn't smack you in the face. That was like, oh, this is good stuff. Ever happened? Well, it happened to me this week. It didn't help that, I told Virgil this earlier in the week, that last week I thought I was getting ahead of the game and I was going to read the passage and just kind of let it soak. And I was reading, I was like, this is, this is good stuff. And I was like, it also sounds really familiar. I was like, hmm, let me check and make sure I'm reading the right passage. And I did, I pulled the rookie mistake. I didn't look at the number in front of Peter. So if you're following along now and you read through that whole, whole section, you're like, I don't see any of this anywhere. This is not the same thing at all. Maybe you did what I did and you were reading 1 Peter and not 2 Peter. <laughs> because I was reading 1 Peter, I needed to be reading 2 Peter. Once I figured that out, I started reading it and I was like, Ugh. I, I just, I'm, I'm not pumped. I'm not excited. And it, it put me in a bad mood. You could ask my wife. I had to just, to give up for that day. I had to, to move on. And so I woke up the next day and I was like, and this sounds super spiritual and it's really not. It was out of desperation because I have to get up and give God's word. I need to internalize it and make it a part of me. And so I, I woke up the next morning and I was like, Lord, make this alive to me. And, and what I realized in my time with God that morning, I was like, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you wrote this in the first place. So I'm just begging you right now, like, make it alive to me. Make it fresh, because I need it to be fresh right now. And you know what? When we actually, in desperation, call on God and ask him to do the thing that he wants to do, in this case, the Holy Spirit is living within us for this very purpose, God comes through. And I, I really am excited now to be able to dig into this with you. So let's dig in again. We'll start back at verse 12. And we're going to start with one word. Therefore. Turn your attention to the screen for a second. Therefore, mm, hold on. I love it when I see a therefore. Because it reminds me to ask myself, what's the therefore therefore? Who put the therefore there? Therefore what? Therefore who? Therefore why? It's there for a reason and we need to find it. We can think about it like this. There and four got married, and we need to know who their babies are in the text. 
dive back in. Therefore, mm, that's good stuff. So let's dive back in. I'll let him get excited about the word. Is there anything special about the word? No. If you've been in church for any, any time, probably just a little while, you may have heard something similar before. Is it trite? Yes. Is it true? Also yes. This word here, when we're reading God's word, we have to be careful to pay attention to the cues that we're given. And so in this passage, in this context, and probably a reason why I wasn't super excited about it is because when I read it at face value, I missed the therefore. I didn't look back before I looked forward. And so for us to get where Peter's going, for us to grab a hold of why he wants us to remember today and what he wants us to remember, we have to go back real quick. So verse five in that same chapter. It says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. He's building on this. And then Peter says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Productive and useful in our knowledge. A lot of times I think, as followers of Jesus, what we get stuck on is the knowledge part. And we know a lot about Jesus, but the question truly is, are we living out what we know? And what Peter says is, if we do those things, we will live out what we know, and it won't be knowledge only, it will be productive and we'll be growing. So verse 12, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. So in this section, in verses 12 through 15, what's going to happen here is that Peter uses a word that kind of bookends this section. It's kind of caps on the end of this. In our translation today, he uses the word always. Simple word, but he's using it to cap the end of this section. And what he begins with is he says, I will always remind you about these things. But notice Peter here isn't giving an empty promise. He says to his audience, to us today, even though you know the truth, and I see that you're standing in it, so you're doing it, even though you know it and you're doing it, I'm going to remind you. In fact, When we read further, Peter says, not only am I going to remind you, but as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will continue to remind you. Peter's a pretty tenacious guy. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that. Um, He usually inserts his feet into situations, jumps in feet first, sometimes inserts his feet into his mouth before he really thinks through things. But that was before Jesus died and rose again. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter becomes a guy who's totally filled with God's spirit and he's doing things beyond what he would have done before and he's doing them in the confidence of the Holy Spirit, not in his confidence in himself. And so when Peter says that he won't give up, he really meant it. And he means it because he wrote it down for us to follow through with. Verse 13 says, and it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Quite the commitment, isn't it? Big promise. 
But there's something else going on here in, in this section. And uh, honestly, this is kind of where the ho-hum of what I was experiencing with this passage kind of began to wear off. Mostly because I started geeking out over the things that were kind of just below the surface. Maybe you won't, but I hope what we see here is what God's intention with this is and that God is speaking directly to our hearts through what Peter has to say to us here. So Peter uses an interesting word here to describe his life. It's one of these times where our English translations, and most of them are this way, they miss the, the, the depth of what the Greek word originally meant. Because in the Greek, just like most languages in our world, except for English, you use multiple words to mean specific things. In this case, Peter doesn't use the normal words for life, or there's many words for the idea of life. Peter chooses to use a word totally different to describe his life, and he uses it both times. To get this idea, I want us to go to a different translation, and I, I probably will never, you'll probably never hear this out of my mouth ever again, but we're going to go to the King James. I usually, you may have really fond, like, relationship with the King James. Every time I, almost every time I read it, I usually generally leave more confused than clarified on a situation, and it doesn't help <laughs> That the first four words in here confuses me too. But let's move past the four words, and then we'll get to the rest of it. So in the King James, that same, that same verse in verse 13, it says, Yea, I think it meet. Uh-huh. If you really know what that means, please let me know. Come, come see me afterwards. But really what Peter's saying is like, this is, this is important. I think it's important. As long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Tabernacle. Also sounds like it belongs in the King James, right? But Peter is using this word specifically for a reason. And what a tabernacle really is, is a tent. It's not necessarily any more special than that. It's really just a temporary structure. But Peter uses this specific word to draw to a specific idea. And so you can see that Peter's trying to say that his life is temporary. Like a tent is a temporary dwelling, his life is temporary. But I truly think that Peter's intention here goes beyond that, because why would he have chosen this word to describe himself if he didn't have more of a reason to do it? He could have used many other words that were more clear to describe his life, but he chose to describe his life as a tent. So why? Well, part of Peter's audience, although not the whole, was going to be Jewish people who were spread out throughout the Roman Empire. And this, this letter is written to churches in Asia, Asia Minor. And so he would have been speaking to them, but these, these Jewish people are spread throughout the Roman Empire. And a lot of the ways that the early church grew was that it, it grew in Jewish communities who began to follow Jesus as their Messiah and then they exploded from there into the Greek world around them, the Roman world around them. And when that happened, those new converts to following Jesus that were Roman and are Roman, but now they, they follow Jesus, they began to learn Jewish background, Jewish um, idea, Jewish theology, because that's the scriptures that they had to hold on to. And so in doing so, Peter's audience is not just Jewish, but even those who aren't would probably begin to grasp this idea that he's using this word for a reason. 
And so if we look back in the Old Testament at this idea of tabernacle or tent, what we find is that God specifically uses the idea of tabernacle for a very specific and purposeful reason. And it all centered around how his people Israel worshipped him. Now, when they came out of slavery to Egypt, they entered the desert and they were a nomadic people. So what God told them to do was to build this tabernacle to house the Ark of the Covenant. I know I'm going like really deep, deep Old Testament here and like what's the Ark of the Covenant? Maybe you know, maybe you don't. Think of it as a really ornate, very beautiful, probably never seen it, uh, box that was carried by the priests. And this box, though, was not an ordinary box. It was not a, a box built as a symbol. It was literally where God's presence met earth. It was literally where God's presence met earth. And so day in, day out, for the 40 years that the people of Israel were in the desert, God led them through this ark with a cloud by day, or like a cloud of smoke by day, and a column of fire by night. So this is no like little thing. It's a column of fire, a column of cloud, a supernatural, God's touching his presence down to earth with his people. And he instructed them to build the tabernacle around the Ark of the Covenant as a tent of meeting, a place where God's people could meet with him. But it doesn't stop there with this, this idea of tabernacle and imagery. Because the camp of Israel, also God had super specific instructions about how they were to live and sleep and camp around this tabernacle or where the ark was. And this is not core, I think, to what Peter is saying, but it's the imagery that I can't get over. Um, ben, go ahead and throw that, that picture up. Um, this is a layout of most probably what it would have looked like for the people of Israel to have been camping around this tabernacle. Now, in that blue section is we, would be where the tabernacle was. And then radiating out of that tabernacle was where the people camped. Now, they would have been super, super regimented. God gave them specific instructions down to the number of people of where they needed to set up, east, west, north, south. And the way they would have camped by number based on what we have in God's word, it lays out to this shape the shape of a cross. Now, the people around them and the nations around them, I know it sounds like a coincidence, and I, yes, I'm skeptical too when I see these things. I'm like, oh, there's a cross in this thing. I know it sounds like a coincidence, but it's really God's intention and his design and his instruction that the people followed. So imagine now being someone who natively lived in the lands that people of Israel were, were traveling through. You look down on about a million people strong and they're camped out, regimented in this shape, with a column of fire exploding out of the middle of it. Is that intimidating? I think it would be pretty intimidating. But Peter's not done with this imagery yet. So let's continue on and see what he does. In verse 14 he says, For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. Earthly life, remember, tent. It definitely seems that Peter has a specific uh, instance here that he wants to draw our attention to. And if we look back in the Gospels, we see that Jesus predicts how Peter is going to die. So John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, says, I tell you the truth, <clears throat> and this is Jesus talking to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death 
he would glorify God. So Jesus says you will stretch out your hands and that will be, and you'll be led to the place you don't want to go and that will be how you will die and glorify God. It was Jesus' prediction that Peter was going to die a death for his faith, but not just a death, but that he would be crucified on a cross. Now, God's word doesn't bring finality to that idea. We don't see Peter dying in God's word. But what we do see in church history um, and church tradition is that Peter did, in fact, die death by crucifixion. But because Peter didn't think that he was worthy to die the same way Jesus did, church tradition says he was crucified upside down. So Peter is drawing attention for his audience to the story of Christ unfolding in his temporary life. And at the same time, he's saying that even the past works and words of God and the story of God has been built to foretell and inform us who Jesus is. So Peter wraps up this section. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. There's that end to the bookend. Always remember. Because if we remember the things of Jesus, the godly life he's called us to live, then we don't just have the knowledge of Jesus, but our knowledge leads to our being productive and useful in our faith. Peter says we need reminders so that we will always remember. Let's finish out this section because I think it gets even better. For, this is what Peter says, for we're not making up clever stories. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what is Peter talking about here? Peter's using experiences from his life with Jesus, this is another one, to draw his audience, to draw us back to the idea that God's word is extremely important. And so Peter is using his experience that he had with Jesus to, to flesh that out and to give it the credential that it needs. And so this is what Peter, or this is, this is that instance in Matthew chapter 17. This is what Matthew says about it. He says in verse 1, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. So remember that. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, Moses and Elijah are, are for Peter and definitely to us, some two very old dudes, because they had lived hundreds, if not thousands of years before Peter lived. And yet they appear here beside Jesus. So Jesus is glowing with the glory of God like the sun. And here comes Moses and Elijah, who to Peter and James and John would have been like their superheroes. Like if they had posters on their wall, it would have been of Moses and Elijah. You know, not that they would have recognized him because they never saw them, but you know, you get the idea. Like they did recognize him in that moment, and so this is what Peter says. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as, as memorials. Three tents as memorials. 
One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. So did you catch that? Peter is going back to this story where he's on a mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is glowing like the sun with the glory of God. Here comes Moses and Elijah. Peter gets excited, and he's like, hey, I know what I can do. Jesus, if you want me to, I can build you some tents, a tabernacle to remember this time so that I can remember and so that we can honor you. But before Peter ever gets to the end of his thought there, there's no answer to it. God interrupts. And God said, this is my son. He brings me joy. Listen to him. And when Peter and James and John look up, because they're scared, obviously, if a voice from heaven booms out, you'd be scared too. So they're face down on the ground, and Jesus comes over and taps them and says, hey, it's okay, guys, you can get up now. When they get up, Moses and Elijah are gone. They only see Jesus. God was showing them that all he had done in the past through the prophets, though important, really only was fulfilled in Jesus. So when they look up and they just see Jesus, they realize all the things that we've been living for and, and, and being about in our life, it was all coming together in Jesus. Jesus was glowing with the glory of God. It was Jesus exploding out of the tabernacle thousands of years ago, long before Peter ever lived. And now Peter realizes that a tent, a tabernacle, will not contain the glory of God because the glory of God is alive in Jesus. There is only Jesus. There needs only to be Jesus. Life begins and ends with Jesus. So this is what Peter says. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So Peter's saying to his audience, and before that he says, we, we haven't devised clever stories for you. Basically, it's like, we haven't been bored to the point where we're just, we're just spinning tales for, to pump at you to get you to believe something. He's like, no, we're telling you about our experience because our experience changed our life foundationally. We saw the glory of God, the light of God in Jesus' face, and when we saw that, our lives changed forever. Even the way we looked at life and the past changed forever. And basically Peter is saying, I'm writing this down because I have remembered this and I want you to remember this too. Because remembering the things of God prompts action to live the things of God. So the end of verse 19. You must pay close attention, Peter says, to what they, the prophets, wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. So here Peter's drawing a correlation between that dark place, he says, and our hearts. He says that the word of God is like a lamp that shines into the dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Peter is really using in this, in this part a very colorful, very descriptive 
very poetic picture to explain the hope of Jesus and what's happening because of what Jesus has done. But he draws attention to that dark place, saying that our hearts are a dark place without Jesus. And without Jesus, we're living in hopeless darkness. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus is like the morning star. But he also says Jesus is like the sun. And he just talked about Jesus' face being bright as the sun, lit, lit with the glory of God. And so what Peter is saying is Jesus' death and resurrection is like the morning star. Now, if you know anything about stars, you could probably speak to this much more than I could. But really what Peter is referencing, I mean, think about it. 2,000 years ago, they weren't staring at TVs. They weren't staring at their computers or phones. They didn't have a bunch of things to do. So what do you do? You look up. You stare at the sky. They knew the stars. And one of those stars was the morning, what they called the morning star, which was most likely Venus. And it shone brightest before the sun would rise. So what Peter is saying is just like the morning star is the proof that the sun's coming, Jesus, his death and resurrection, is proof that ultimate life is coming. And we're just waiting for Jesus to return. But in the meantime, if you woke up this morning before the sun came up or before you know the snow was bright and falling, then you probably woke up in the dark. In the dark of the morning, when you see the morning star, between the time of that morning star and the sun rising, before Jesus comes back, in the darkness we find ourselves, God's word is the lamp, the flashlight that guides us. Because without God's truth of Jesus, we're in spiritual darkness. But we're waiting for the hope of Jesus to come back. And so then finishing out in verse 20, Peter says, above all, again, he's getting down to the core of what he wants to say in this passage. He's drawing our attention, above all. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. When Peter and James and John looked up on that mountain, they no longer saw anyone there but Jesus. It was God's way of showing them that Jesus is the authority. Jesus has always been the authority. And it's his direction in the first place through the Spirit of God that moved the prophets, that moved those who wrote God's word to write it in the first place, which makes it the very word of God. And that is what Peter is leaving us as a gift, a gift of remembrance, to remember that God's word is a weapon that, gives us, that he gives us to fight off the darkness of sin, and to remind us of the firm hope that we have in Jesus until he returns. And I know a lot of times we want to take something and we want to just like pull out this, just this thing that we can hold on to out of God's word. Just this thing that we can take and apply to our lives. And, and it's great to do that. We should be doing that. But sometimes I think when we do that, we just want, we're grasping for something to hold on to because we need it. And there's definitely something to hold on to here, but it's not necessarily the easy thing of saying go out and do step one, two, and three, and things will change. What we need to hold on to here is the light of God's word, bringing us the hope of Jesus while we hold on before Jesus comes. Because I don't think I have to remind you, I've been reminded of it this week, that we are surrounded by darkness. Life is a dark place, and a lot of times it's hard. But when we forget the truth of Jesus, 
we allow that darkness to press in on us. We allow sin to creep back in. But when we remember, God gives us his gift of his word to light our life and to remind us of the hope we have in Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. We're thankful for your amazing love. We're thankful that you are the glory of God, that you're alive today, and that your word is what you give us to hold on to the hope we have in you. So Jesus, today, help us to hold on to that hope, to hold on to your word, and as we leave and go out into our week, Jesus, help us to grab a hold of your word, holding it tightly, making it a part of us, that we never let go of. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.